0: If you haven't been watching with us over the last several weeks, we've been engaged in this incredible series called Esther that's pulled straight from a book inside of the Bible. And so far, we've been introduced to four main characters. The first main character is the king of Persia. His name is Xerxes. And he had this wife who he loved, but when he asked her to come uh, to his court, she refused to come, and this didn't please the king all that well. So in a fit of rage, he banished her from the kingdom, and he started this, you know, this epic search for the next queen, and he eventually finds a beautiful young lady. This is our second main character by the name of Estra. The third main character is the, is the second in charge. His name is, is Haman, and frankly, Haman is a despicable human being. He has this major addiction to power and to fame, and he has an expectation that everybody that walks by him should bow down to him. And for the most part, everyone did except for one guy. This is our fourth main character. His name is Mordecai the Jew. And as you can imagine... A personality like Haman. It didn't please him all that well that, that Mordecai refused to even tremble when he walked by. So he made it his mission to make Mordecai's life a living hell. And he said, I'm not only going to take out Mordecai, but I'm completely going to annihilate the entire race, the entire ethnicity that is connected to Mordecai. So as you can imagine, Mordecai is afraid. And this eventually makes it a uh, The chain of command and it gets into the lap of Queen Esther, the decree that has been issued throughout the land that the Jewish people are supposed to be punished. And the way that Haman did it, he did it in sort of a way in order to manipulate the king through wealth because he just went before the king and he said, hey, um, would you allow me to commit genocide against the Jewish people if it meant that you were going to get richer? And the only thing better than being rich is to get richer. And so what the king did is he took off his signet ring and he handed it to Mordecai in order for him to carry out this decree. So death is on the horizon. It's on the horizon for Mordecai. It's on the horizon for the Jewish people. And as I've said already, Esther found this out. And it just so happens that Esther is a Jew. Now, no one knows this, not even her husband. And Mordecai, in the providence of God, just so happens to be Esther's adoptive father. And Mordecai, through a process, comes to Esther and he says to her, you've got to do something. Who knows, you might have been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. Eventually, Esther would agree to do something. She would go before the king, even though it meant that it could cost her life. But she has this famous phrase that she uses. She says, if I die, I die and she went before the king. And instead of receiving his wrath, she received his grace, and he extended the scepter, and she goes in, and he asks these very famous questions. He says, what is your wish? What is your request? I will give you whatever you want up to half of the kingdom. So instead of laying it out there, instead of falling onto the floor in an emotional fit, What you see Esther do is you see her begin to formulate a very calculated and strategic plan, and she invites the king, and oh, by the way, make sure that you bring the second-in-command Haman. Make sure that he comes to this feast with you. The king agrees to come to the feast, and you can see that the king is having a pretty good run, right? He's already been promised by the second-in-command that he's going to get richer And then you've got Esther that's now saying, hey, I'm going to throw you this fantastic feast. And so the feast begins to play out, and that's where the story gets interesting, and this is where we'll pick up our story today. And what you're going to notice is that as we ring out Esther chapter 6, parts of chapter 7, and parts of chapter 8, is that God's impeccable timing is put on display. And my hope and my prayer for you is that as you watch this message inside of our series, Esther, is that you realize really quickly is that God's providence, is that God's plan and God's timing is perfect for your life. And no matter what you're going through as an individual and no matter what's happening inside of your life, is that God is always on time and you can take faith and trust in that even today. today I want to spend a majority of my time wading through Esther chapter 6. But before we do that, I think it's important for us to to revisit or to retrace the steps of Esther and go back into Esther chapter 5. And so I'm going to drop down into verse 6 of Esther chapter 5 and read this to you. Now, the, the feast is in full swing right here. The banquet that that Esther is throwing for the king and Haman is, I mean, it is going in the right direction. Everything is happening. I mean, Esther has done a great job in planning it all out. They have a DJ, they probably got a group of people in the corner doing the Cupid Shuffle. All of that stuff is happening right now. And then in Esther chapter 5, verse 6, it says this, "'And as they were drinking wine after the feast, "'the king said to Esther, "'What is your wish?' "'Doesn't that sound familiar?' "'He's asking her yet again, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Now this is the second time that the king is asking this to Esther. This is the the second occasion where he's looking at Esther and he's saying, Hey, uh, what do you want from me? What is your request? And you would think that at this point, this very pivotal time inside of human history, especially in the life of the Jewish people, that Esther would communicate exactly what her request would be to the king. But instead, she doesn't do this. What happens? In Esther chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Then Esther answered, My wish and my request if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So instead of saying, hey, here's my request, please save my people from annihilation, no, she says, why don't you come back to a a second feast that I'm going to prepare? Now this story in Esther chapter 5, it actually follows Haman out the door. And as you can imagine, Haman, the type of guy that he was, he is on cloud nine. He's been promoted. He has all of these things that are going and moving in the right direction for him. Uh, He's just been invited to this feast, and he's hung out with the king and queen, too, of the most powerful people on the planet at the time. But it says that as he walked to his house, that he laid eyes on Mordecai at the king's gate, and his heart was once again filled with fury. He goes home, and he loves to talk about himself, And he says to his wife and a bunch of his buddies, I mean, look at everything that I have. Look at all of the resources that are at my disposal. Look at all the things that that I have underneath my purview, underneath my political influence. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty important guy, and I'm sure they're all agreeing with him. But then he says this, and this gives us a window into the rage that truly churned inside of the heart of this guy named Haman. He says, out of all of my resources that I have, it is nothing to me as long as Mordecai sits at the gate. His wife and friends, they, they come up with a remedy. They say, hey, you know, we've got, we got a solution to your problem. Well, what is the solution? He asked, and, and they say, why don't you build a gallows in our front yard, and why don't you go to the king in the morning and ask the king if you can murder Mordecai on the gallows. And then you can go joyfully to the second feast. He's already went to the first banquet, and he's got anxiety because of him seeing Mordecai, and they're trying to help him go to the second feast with joy and not have to run to Mordecai. And so, hey, why don't you kill him before before the second banquet can even take place? Now, it seems that Esther's plan is beginning to unravel. Like she has had two opportunities. The first opportunity was in front of the king as he sat on his throne where he asked her, what do you want? And she refuses to give him the request. The second time was at the first banquet and she refuses to give him the request as well. So she's running out of opportunity and Mordecai could potentially lose his life before the second party and before she can make her request known to the king. And that's when Esther chapter 6 begins. What's about to transpire in Esther chapter 6 is truly unbelievable. In fact, I would dare say, and this is not hyperbole, I would dare say that Esther chapter 6 is one of the most powerful chapters inside of all of the Bible. Let's listen to what happens. And we know the setting, we know what's happening inside of the household of Haman. He's probably fast asleep by now because of all of the wine that he drank at the first banquet, and he's dreaming of having Mordecai murdered in the morning. But in Esther chapter 6, verse 1, it gives us a snapshot into the bedroom of the king, and it says, And on that night the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles and they were read before the king. Now this is so important. Why is this so important? If we go all the way back to Esther chapter 2, you'll find out that Mordecai actually thwarted a plot to have the king killed. He goes and tells the queen, hey, I overheard a couple of guys talking about how they were going to lay hands on the king. And what Queen Esther did is she goes in to King Xerxes and she says, hey, this is what's about to go down. And it says that she told all that she knew in the name of Mordecai. It's remarkable, isn't it? And they were all writing it down because anything that was written in the presence of the king, especially at his throne, it would have been written down. You know what it would have been written down in? It would have been written down in the book of memorable deeds, a book of chronicles. Well, what did the king just call for? Well, the king just called for that exact book. So this is lining up. Picture this. The king is robbed of sleep. In fact, if you go back, the Greek translation of this particular chapter, even though in the Hebrew translation it never mentions the name of God, they insert the Lord's name there. And in Esther chapter 6, verse 1, the Greek version would say this, is that the Lord removed sleep from the king that night. And on this night is when he is made aware of Mordecai's good deed, the plan that was going to have him killed was thwarted because of Mordecai going to Queen Esther. Now the next couple of verses, the king is reminded of Mordecai's good deed. And then in verse 3, it says this after the king is told, hey, and this is what Mordecai did for you. It says the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? In other words, have we done anything for the guy? Like has he gotten a gift card or anything? Like have we done anything for Mordecai? It's awesome what he just did for me. What you just read to me is amazing. The king's young men who attended him said nothing has been done for him. So this is where the timeline gets extremely interesting. Now think about this. What is Haman doing? He's asleep. The king is awake. The king is being read this book. He's reminded of the deeds of Mordecai. Well, the problem for for Haman is that the king is reminded at the very wrong moment. And you're going to see that Haman is in the wrong place at the wrong time in just a second. Haman rolls into the king's court and he's there fresh off of, of thinking through all of the ways in which he was going to have Mordecai murdered. And the king has just been reminded of the good deed of this Jew inside of his kingdom so Mordecai is there the next morning and he's asked he's, he's asked in verse four hey what do you want hey what do you want like what like what are you here for and what do you want and, and, and before he can get the words out of his mouth the king the king interrupts and in Esther it says so Haman came in and the king said to him what should be done to the to to, to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman, being so drunk with his own power, being such an arrogant guy, he thinks that the king is talking about him. The king is asking the question, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? The king is talking about Mordecai, but Haman says, oh, he must be talking about me because I am pretty much the man. And then in Esther chapter 6, verse 7, And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor... And in verse 10, then the king said to Haman, now remember, Haman's thinking, all right, I'm about to to get yet another accolade. I'm about to get yet another promotion. And it says, hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said, drum roll please, and do so to Mordecai the Jew. The tables have completely turned. He says, do it to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman had to take the robes. He had to place them on Mordecai. He had to steady Mordecai on the horse. He had to take one of the king's crowns and he placed it upon his head and he led Mordecai throughout the city and he is chanting the whole time, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor." Now, why God's name is not mentioned anywhere, like that, like that's a God thing, right? You have to admit, like that's a God thing. God orchestrated that entire thing. That can't be just a coincidence. If it's just a coincidence, then I'm going to choose to believe the statement uh, that Albert Einstein used when he talked about coincidences. Coincidences is when is when God just chooses to remain anonymous because. God orchestrated that entire thing. He had to have. This is so rich. So what happens next? In Esther chapter 6, verse 12, it says, "...then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house mourning with his head covered." Of course his head's covered. Why? Because he's embarrassed the guy that he was going to kill. He's now caught in town parading him around on a stallion, the king's horse, chanting what he chanted about about Mordecai, showing everybody this is how the king delights to honor people. It is embarrassing. And Haman told his wife and all of his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but you will surely fall before him. So this is not looking good for our brother Haman. Verse 14, while they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. It says, while they were yet talking to him. Now the word while is important. It's inserted into this chapter for a reason. Well, why is it important? Because while is actually a timing word. And before Haman could even react, before he could develop a plan, God's plan is already in action and he's being whisked away into the second payment, into the second banquet where it is definitely about to go down. Now, throughout the book of Esther, we've been equating Esther to almost like a chess game. And if you think about it, it really is. You've got the enemy of our souls and the lover of our souls in a combative chess match, and, and it seems as if the enemy is going to win at some point. It seems as if there's just too many good moves that the enemy has made with Haman and, and the way that the decree has gone out, and, and the Jews are about to be annihilated. In fact, they're on the brink of annihilation, but then all of a sudden, God begins to make His moves, and when God begins to make His moves, the enemy could do nothing to thwart the plan of God. Now, each unnamed opponent makes move after move. And just when you think the enemy has won, God's plan begins to develop some momentum. So how many of you know what the most important piece inside of chess is? Well, it's the queen. The most important piece inside of chess is the queen. And the reason why is because you can move it sideways. You can move it frontwards and backwards. It is the most important. It it, It possesses the most power. And what you see here. As you see, especially in 5, but really in 6, you see the invisible hand of God making moves, and then he puts his hand on Esther, and he's about to move her into position. Now check out chapter 7. The queen is in the position, and the king asked her for a third time. So the first time was in front of his throne. The second time was at a banquet table, a banquet that she had thrown for the king and Haman. And then the third time is that the second banquet and Haman would have been seated right beside the king. And the king looks at her and he gives her those statements, those questions for a third time. He says, what's your wish? What's your request? I'll give you whatever you want up to half of my kingdom. And that's when God says it's time to move the queen. In Esther chapter 7 verse 3, it says, Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish, and my people for my request. Now it's going down here really quickly. Now remember the king is clueless as to her ethnicity. The king has no idea what her ethnic origin is, so she continues. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Verse 5, Then the king said to Queen Esther, Who is he? So she's got her man ramped up now. She's got him ready to fight. Who is he and where is he? Who has dared to do this? And then in verse six, Esther said, "A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman." And she points at him. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking, and he went into the place. The he he went into the palace garden, but Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. Queen Esther was sitting on the couch and Haman was falling on her, basically begging for his life. But the king, kind of knowing the manipulative nature of Haman now, he he says, "'Will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house?' As the words left the mouth, they covered Haman's face." Then one of the eunuchs in attendance on the, uh, of the king said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house. So the eunuch, he, he, he went there, right? While, while, he went there, that timing word, and he saw the gallows. It was in his purview. And he tells the king there's some gallows that is in front of Haman's house and his desire was to hang Mordecai from it. then in verse 10, so they hanged Haman instead. They hanged him on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king was abated. The story we just read, man, it is a case study on the perfect timing of God. More importantly, it's a case study on the power of the perfect timing of God. And it has so much relevance for us today. And what this passage is teaching us, what what rises to the surface is is that it's all about God's timing. That life comes down to being all about God's perfect timing for our lives. Because if you break down Esther's encounters with the king, you can break them down really in three ways. The first encounter that she has with the king, if she would have made her request known, the request would have been right. Like it would have been a right request. Anytime you go and and try to save yourself and your adoptive father and an entire generation from genocide, that probably would qualify as a right request. Wouldn't you think so? Of course. Of course. The second time that she's in front of the king at the banquet and he asked her again, what do you want from me? If she would have made her request known at that moment, it still would have been the right request. Then the third encounter that she has with the king, she finally makes her request known, but even still the request hasn't ceased to be right. It's still a right request. Wouldn't you agree with that? So in all three of the encounters that she has with the king, she has the right thing at her disposal. She has the right requests at her disposal. So what does it come down to? It comes down to a matter of timing. It comes down to a matter of timing. You see, in the first episode, it wasn't the right time. She had the right thing, but not the right time. In the second, she had the right thing, but she didn't have the right time. But in the third, those two things aligned. And she had the right thing, and she also had the right time. You see, in our culture, because we live inside of a culture that's on demand, we think that all we need is the right thing, and we can spring into action like tomorrow. Like we can do it like within the next hour. All we need is the right thing. But to say or to do the right thing at the wrong time is still a wrong thing. Think about this. Play this out. Play the scenario out inside of your head. What if Esther would have made her request known the first time that she was asked the question? Would it have been accomplished? Maybe. What about the second time? Perhaps. But maybe Esther chapter 6 would be missing from our Bibles because maybe Esther chapter 6 would have never happened. You see, the right thing Aligned with the right time, and all of a sudden you see the providence and the provision of God. See, a lot of times I think that we often receive a version of God's will, but we don't receive perfect will. Oftentimes we receive, you know, a, a, a slice of God's will, but we don't receive the perfect will of God. And the reason why is because our timing is off, our timing is messed up. We're misguided because we have the right thing, and so we just jump and spring into action instead of giving God time to work out His plan into completion. And you see this happening, not just in the verses of Scripture that we just read, but you see it happening inside of the life of Esther. Like if you go and look through this entire book and you just highlight the things that happen inside of the life of Esther, you'll begin to see that Esther, that she aligned herself with the right thing, But she made sure before she disclosed what the right thing was, that she was in the right context, that she was in the right tone, that she had the right right spirit about her, that she had all of the other components that were outside of our control. So how did she do that? That's really the million-dollar question, right? Because many of you may be watching this broadcast and you're thinking to yourself, okay, so uh, how do I do that? Like, how do I unlearn the the things that I've deployed inside of this particular culture and and learn something new. Like how do I make sure that my right thing is aligned with the right time, the right context, the right place? How do I make sure I do that? So glad that you asked. If you look at Esther, there's three things that, that ring out of this entire book. You see Esther thinking and developing an intentional plan. Now, you're not going to find those exact words inside of Scripture, but let me tell you something. If she scheduled two banquets, if she put two banquets on the calendar, the sister had a plan. She had a very intentional plan. And what you notice is that is that Esther did everything that was in her control, and then she left the things that were out of her control, she left those up to God. The things that were in her control, what did she do? She went to the king and she approached his throne. Like she could have been killed. That was out of her control. But instead of receiving wrath, she received grace. Like God set that whole conversation up. She just stepped in the direction and God kept her. Then the first banquet, like she could put together the banquet, she could throw the party, she could do all of those different things. That was in her control, but what was out of her control? It was out of her control for the king to ask her a second time. You see, the king asked her a second time. She didn't ask him. He asked her. That was out of her control, but God guided that entire conversation. What was in her control? Well, it was in her control to invite the king according to her plan that was inside of her head and heart. It was within her control to to look at the king and say, come to the second banquet and to set up all that stuff. But what was out of her control once again? She wasn't guaranteed that the king was going to ask her a third time, what's your wish and what's your request? But he did, and she made her request known. You see, she had an intentional plan. The second thing that you see Esther do is she gathered a group of people. like She gathered a community. If you go back and look at Esther, before she went to the king, she told Mordecai, gather all the Druze in this local circle and make sure that they fast for me for three days before I go and I have a conversation with the king. Get, Get the people fasting. Get the people praying. She gathered a community of people, and that's important. That's the reason why we have the church, in case you... Didn't know. The reason why we have the church is so that we can come together as a communal entity and that we can ask each other questions and process out loud and it can sharpen us and it can and it can help us develop a plan that's a God plan for our lives. And that's what she does. She gathers a community and she gets them fasting. She gets them praying. And then she followed God's plan and she trusts God with the process. Esther chapter 6, she couldn't rob the king of sleep. No, she couldn't do that. She couldn't bring to the king's remembrance, get the book of memorable deeds. No, she couldn't do that. But you know who could? God could. God could. And what we have to do as followers of Christ and what Esther is teaching us out of this passage of Scripture is this, is that if we'll just work the plan and do everything that is within our control, then God is going to do the things out of our control. And then the right time will align with the right thing. So let's look together how it all culminated. In Esther chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, it says, And on that day, King Xerxes gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came became before the king, for Esther had told... What he was to her, and the king took off his signet ring and he gave it to Mordecai. It was once in the possession of his enemy, but because the invisible hand of God, even though he's never mentioned, is at work and is moving on behalf of Esther and Mordecai, now Mordecai has the signet ring of the king. It's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. I want to pray that whatever you're going through right now, that you can begin to discover through the process that we just mentioned how to align the right thing in the right time so that you can see the will of God come to fruition inside of your life. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for these individuals that are tuned in, whether they're in their car driving or they're in their living room or or they're somewhere else. Father, I just pray for them today. And I pray, God, that, that in the midst of, of them having to wait for your plan to unfold, that you would give them the strength to be able to do so. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.